0: Good morning to each of you. Today I want to continue um, looking at the book of Philippians, and the title is "Living for Christ's Honor." And we're going to be, if you want to open to uh, to it, you can. We're going to be in Philippians one, uh, looking at verses um, twelve through thirty. A couple of months back, um, a couple of months back, um, Nicole and I and the boys watched a documentary called Free Solo, and this is a picture of, uh, of Yosemite National Park in California. This particular rock face is called El Capitan. And it's a fantastically gorgeous um, valley and, and mountain. But the point of Free Solo, uh, there is a guy, his name is Alex Arnold, who's, Arnold, who's considered the, basically the best um, rock climber in the world, or at least one of the most adventurous rock climber in the world. And what he did is he climbed this rock face here unassisted, meaning he just set out without any ropes or anything and climbed to the top of that. So it's a fascinating story, both in how he did it, and then also it's a sad story in just what's going on in his personal life to make so that he would even be willing to do something like that. Um, so he sets out, and, and obviously he makes it, and just an incredible story. And can you imagine being being up there on the side of that mountain and climbing with no ropes, and what he did is he, he memorized his route, and he did every section again and again and again to the point where he got, when he would come to a certain hold, he would know the exact move that he was going to make, so he did this again and again and again with ropes, and then eventually he set out with no ropes and photographers all around who were his friends, and they knew that if he died, they were going to film his death, um, but he made it, so what I want to do in looking at Philippians um, this morning, our outline is is kind of hopefully simple and easy to grab a hold of. I just want to give you four sure things that we can hold on that will give us a life that honors Christ. So it is four anchor points that I see that Paul says that this is a route that he's been on, and if we grab a hold of those things, um, we know that they are sure and they will result in in a life that honors Christ. I want to read the text and then just a little bit of background before we get into those four things. Um, You're welcome to follow along. I'm going to read Philippians uh, 1, 12 through 30 out of the New American Standard. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, And I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but if I am to live on in the flesh this will mean fruitful labor for me and i do not know which to choose but i am hard pressed from both directions having a desire to depart and be with christ for that is very much better yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake convinced of this i know that i will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in christ jesus through my coming to you again Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. So that's our text for this morning, and just a little bit of background uh, before we look at at the four things that I want to point out as anchor points for us in honoring Christ. So here we have Paul, and it's a little bit hard to to see, but you've got all three of his missionary journeys up here, and including his, his voyage out here to Rome. So somewhere on the second journey, he came uh, into the, the town of Philippi, and that's when the church was established. And if you remember, um, the church really, well, it started in Lydia's house, um, and then when they cast out a demon out of the slave girl, they were, um, Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into jail, and they were singing and praying that night, a great earthquake, and then that really was when um, the, the, the jailer in his house came to know Christ and the church was established, So that was on the second journey, on the third journey, and somewhere along the way, Paul ended up in prison for sharing the gospel on the third journey. And he stayed there about two years, and he felt like he wasn't getting a fair um, justice or trial, so he appealed to Caesar. And so he got sent to Rome, and the green is when he goes to Rome, he has a shipwreck, God protects him, he gets bit by a snake, God protects him, and he lands in Rome and so now, after God does all of this, what would you expect God to do when he lands in Rome? And you know what? He goes into house arrest and he sits there for two years. And so the church back at Philippi is praying for him, they're concerned, and they're sending money, they're sending a their pastor to check on him, and then Philippians is answering the question of how he's doing. So here you have Paul, the the I mean, probably the greatest missionary in, in church history. And he's been sitting in jail now for about four years combined. Um, and that's, that's the background for the text. So um, last week we looked at kind of his introduction and what he was praying for them. And so here he is. This is, the, this is really the first thing that he wants um, the church in Philippi to know. He says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, how could you is this what you would expect Paul to say? He went from doing all of these journeys, establishing church after church after church, to sitting in jail for four years. And he's saying, the first thing I want you to know here is this actually has helped to advance the gospel. And the word for advance has the idea of an army that's going forward and of clearing out under, uh, like underbrush and trees so there can be a clear road forward. So, so Paul is saying, when you compare this to being in chains... Chains is actually advancing the gospel even though that's probably what everybody would have wanted to see happen. And that's the first thing he wants them to know is that the gospel is advancing. Then he goes on to explain himself so that it's become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So interestingly enough, the imperial guard was, they were kind of, they were not kind of, they were the elite Roman soldiers of the day. So after you were, after you served in the army and you were a veteran, then you could join this imperial guard. And basically the emperor, and this Nero in this case, would pick who he wanted to be as his, as his personal bodyguard. If I was to compare it to something today and reading about it, it would kind of be like combining the Secret Service, the Navy SEALs, and the Mafia. And that's what you came up with. Because these people became so powerful that they literally would. They would go out, and if they would find somebody that they thought was being unloyal, they would arrest them, they would actually have them killed. In the end, people felt like this group of guards actually influenced who became the ruler of Rome, and they actually assassinated people. So this is the guard that they put Paul with. And interestingly enough, they chained him, and commentators would believe he was chained wrist to wrist, and he was a few uh, feet apart from one of these guys nonstop, for two years, and they would change their shift every about four to six hours. So imagine Paul, literally four, if not five or six of these guys a day, chained to him while he writes the book of Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and he entertains a steady stream of guests while well, he's under house arrest. Um, and so it became very clear to all of these guards who Christ was, And then he goes on to say all the rest. And so it actually has the idea of not just these guards, but actually all of Caesar's household. So that probably was servants. It probably was even officials. Everybody knew why Paul was there. And Paul is just saying, I want you to know that what happened to me actually is advancing the gospel. And here's how. And then he goes, uh, and this is just, this was a picture, I think, from around AD 50 of of what these guys supposedly looked like and, and who they were. And interestingly enough, a church was planted from this. The end of the book he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Isn't that awesome? Only God could actually come up with a plan like that to plant a church in Caesar's household, in the elite guards and, and soldiers of the day. So and then he goes on to explain further how this is, has advanced the gospel. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So ironically, they take Paul and they put him in prison to stop him from preaching. And all that that does is plant the church in Caesar's household, and give the rest of the church more boldness um, to share and to preach the word. So again, if I was to put this in today's terms, imagine that we're checking in on Paul. He's somewhere in D.C., chained to a Navy SEAL. He's been waiting there for two years, and he doesn't know if the president is either going to pardon him or have him executed. And that was the situation that Paul was in. Um, and, and, and just putting that in context makes just adds so much power and confidence and weight to what, he just, what he's writing about here of what God does. So the first thing uh, that I want to point out as our, our anchor here is that we can trust God's providence to work for good. So Paul was sitting in, in prison for four years and he's trusting God's providence to work for good. And out of that, a church was planted in, actually literally in Nero's household. I was just thinking through and in reading some about this, how often God uses things that look like defeat for the furtherance of the gospel. And just curious if you, as you think about that, are there examples that come to mind where God takes what looks like defeat and actually furthers the gospel? Um, You could think of Jim Elliott, Corey Temboon, the life of Joseph, um, on and on. And I, I'd be curious to know in your life, maybe not in any ways quite this large, but how God turns what looks like defeat into an, a chance to advance the gospel. So our anchor, again, is just trusting God's providence. I want to go on and look at 15 um, and, and point out the next anchor. So there was, remember he said that people were bold to preach um, because he was, wasn't able to do this. So there's good and bad news. Some did it for good motives and some out of bad. And so he's saying that some indeed preach Christ for good reasons. They have good will, they love, they know that he's put there for the defense of the gospel, and they're preaching out of truth. And so, of course, Paul can rejoice in that. But he goes on, I want you to notice what also he points out. There were people preaching out of envy, out of rivalry, which just literally means being political, that they're trying to put themselves up down or up put somebody else down and try to somehow take Paul's spot or just get back at him um, maybe make him look bad we don't know what all they were trying to do so they were motivated out of envy out of rivalry they were motivated out of selfish ambition they were not sincere and they actually were just trying to cause Paul pain I and mean, they literally wanted to just to be a pain and it was not it was in pretense and so in all of this Instead of, I mean, can you imagine how Paul feels sitting in prison? And instead of, of spending his time and energy getting irritated at that, or we've got to stop that, he just says, you know what? I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being preached. And I'm just going to rejoice in that. Um, and so they, the second anchor that I see here is just is the power of the gospel. That Paul honestly wasn't even concerned if it was shared out of bad motives. He he trusted the power of the gospel to change lives, and I guess just some encouragement for me and us today. um, That can we take the same approach that if the gospel is being shared, can we rejoice in that? Um, Even if we may not agree 100 percent or see issues with how it's being shared, if the gospel is being shared, um, let's let's rejoice in that. So the second anchor is is just the power of the gospel. Then he goes on and he says, he said he's rejoicing and he said, I will. I'm going to rejoice even more. And then he says a lot of, a lot of things that are going to happen. And, and this is one of those Paul sentences that is just, it, it just gets long. We're going to look at, look at it and try to break it down a little bit. So he is very confident that through their prayers and the help of the Spirit, something's going to happen. So his, his confidence is in the church praying for him and through the help of the Spirit, that this was going to turn out for his deliverance. And, and that's very interesting when he says deliverance. We don't know if he's talking about his salvation, that he's going to be killed and end up in heaven. We don't know if he means that he's going to be set free. And we don't know if he just means this is going to be for my good. So I don't know what he's talking about, but he is sure that it's going to, going to be good. And then he says, "...as it is my eager expectation and hope." and." Eager expectation um, has the idea of just like you're, you're straining your head and you're just looking at one thing, just so much. And the only other place that this word is used in the Bible is in Romans 8, where it talks about creation waiting eagerly for redemption. So Paul's looking ahead with that kind of, of strong longing. So it says it's, it's his eager expectation and hope that he's not going to be ashamed at all, But instead, with full courage or full boldness, that he says, now, and remember sitting in prison, as always, as in the rest of his life, Christ is going to be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's saying, because you're praying and because the Holy Spirit is helping me, I'm looking forward to whatever's going to happen, because I know without a doubt that Christ is going to be honored. And please keep in mind that this is Paul who's been sitting here for two years and he does not know if he's going to get released or if he's going to be executed or we don't know for sure. And he's looking forward to whatever's going to happen. He's actually, he's excited about it and he's eagerly longing because Christ is going to be honored in his body regardless of what happens. And the word for honor um, has the idea of just being magnified or, or just made large. Um, that Christ is going to be, be magnified in him. It's the root word for mega. So when you think about this, that he's saying, I don't, I don't really know, and it doesn't even matter whether I'm dead or alive, that Christ is going to be made mega and big and just be magnified. So notice the confidence and the hope and the expectation and, uh, and just looking ahead and I had to think of what Nate shared in share time um, about looking ahead. Paul's saying, you know, whether it's life or death, um, Christ is going to be honored. So the third anchor that I want us to notice in this is God's supply for every situation. God's supply for every situation. So it, again, it's a very long sentence, but he's looking back saying, because you're praying, And because of the Spirit of Jesus, I'm confident that God will give me what I need so I can with full courage and boldness, I can honor Him whether I die out of this or whether I'm released. He was very confident in in what Christ would give him to go through this. And then verse 21, um, probably the most well-known verse in the passage, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul knew that if he if he goes on living, that his whole life is is in Christ and found in Christ. Everything about his life is Christ, and to die is gain. And so as I think about this, um, you fill in the blank. If you were writing this, what would you say? For me to live is what. Can we say for me to live is Christ? And then at the thought of death, does that have the idea of gain? of being, you know, we were united with Christ face-to-face and gain. One of the ideas that I have heard um, a few years ago that just has helped me to think through things is that the concept that every day I'm either moving a little bit closer to my treasure or a little further away from it. And when our treasure is in heaven, we're obviously moving towards it um, rather than away from it. So Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's a quote that I um, came across, and I don't know who, this, who said this, but in, in studying for this, in any situation, opportunity, or challenge, a man is acting not only for time, but also for eternity. A man's reaction to every situation in time is a witness for or against him in eternity. And these, these verses and this outlook, I think, was really key to the confidence and the joy and the peace that Paul had um, in this situation. In thinking through this a little bit, one um, I guess one situation that brings it home a little bit more for, for myself and, and for Nicole is with her sister-in-law dealing with cancer um, and just talking about you know crying out to God and wanting to be healed and trusting God and then feeling like God in a very clear way comes back with, will you trust me whether I heal you and if I don't? And bringing her back to that again and again is that being the real question. Will you trust me regardless of the outcome? And she talks about that being hard, but also how um, freeing and uh, helpful that is. At the same time, how painful that was. And so I have to look at this. What are my priorities? Does this, does this describe where I'm at? For me to live is Christ and to, to die is gain. Then he goes on, uh, well, in Galatians, he talks about this concept, Galatians 2, where I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And just again, does that describe the life that we're living? He also talks about the, um, the death side of this in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, in verse 8, he says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. So then going on, and he's, he's expanding on both of these options um, and saying, If I'm in the flesh, it means fruitful labor, and yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. And the idea of being hard-pressed, he's actually... Both are good, and he 's excited about both. He's literally saying that both are good. he doesn 't know what he's going to choose um, and again, just the challenge to me does that describe um, where i 'm at and i um, rather than reading these i 'm just going to put them put the phrases here in, into a little chart because he's saying, "Is it life or is it death, and what are the positives so if if he stays here he's saying. Living is Christ, and it means fruitful labor for me. So if God lets me here, I'm going to make sure that it's fruitful labor. He says another positive, it's more necessary on the account of the Philippian church. And one of the reasons he wanted them to progress in their faith, and he wanted them to have joy and to have glory in Christ Jesus. But if God chooses not to deliver him, he says, look, this is going to be gain. I'm going to be with Christ and this is far better. So isn't that an incredible perspective on, on life from somebody who's been sitting in jail for two years, waiting to find out if he lives or, get exe- or if he will die um, through being executed? And we know in this case, he was released um, and then about two or three years later put back in jail. And that time, he was not released. He did die and, and was martyred. So that's, uh, that was Paul's attitude in, in looking at this. Um, to sum this up, the fourth anchor is a single focus of honoring Christ. A single focus of honoring Christ. Um, and that really came out in, in these verses uh, 20 and 21. Regardless of what happens, Christ is going to be honored in my body. I'd like to give you a, a quote by John Piper that I think really sums this up uh, very well. Christ is glorified in you when he is more precious to you than all that life can give or death can take. I'm going to say that one more time. Christ is glorified in you when he is more precious to you than all that life can give or death can take. So those are the four anchors. He goes on, and I'm not going to focus on this part. Um, we're going to pick this up the next time um, that, I, that I preach. But the start of verse 27, he says, these are the things, this describes my situation. But then he says, only, or another translation would say, regardless of what happens. So regardless of what happens to me, regardless of what happens to you, this is what I want you to know. And he goes on to say, that your, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that has the idea of living as a citizen that, is, that reflects the values of the country from where you come. And so live as a citizen of, of God's kingdom or worthy of the gospel. In summary, again, just looking at the four anchor points. Uh, number one, God's providence to work for good in all situations God can take any situation including opposition to advance his kingdom God can take any situation number 2 is just the power of the gospel and just want to challenge us today do we really believe the power of the gospel to to change lives all around us Paul believed it so much that he didn't even care if it was preached out of bad motives and just do we expect the gospel to change lives in Catlett, in D.C., in, in Bealton, in Culpeper? Do we really expect the power of the gospel to change lives? And, and it does. The third is God's supply to live a godly life. I'm just amazed and convicted at Paul's absolute confidence that he would honor God, whether he no matter what happened to him. And it came from from trusting God's supply to live a godly life. And the fourth is a single focus of honoring Christ. When Christ is our identity and the gospel is our focus, we cannot be defeated. When Christ is our identity and the gospel is our focus, we cannot be defeated. And again, in Paul's life, it looked like he was being defeated but in, in the scope of eternity, um, he wasn't. God was, was accomplishing um, his purposes.